I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome. We are here, the 250th episode. This is a real celebratory episode for me. 250 episodes and five and a half years of just being able to share creative and inspiring learning from organizations and people who are just have this child-centered, child-focused idea of being able to support children. And I hope that all the episodes that we've had in the past have been helpful and that the, the content and, and the conversations that we're going to be having in the future just keep that going and take it to the whole next level. Now, it's a real privilege today to be chatting to Andrea Zafiraku, MBE, and she was the winner of the 2018 Global Teacher Prize and the founder of the charity Artists in Residence. Now, it's a real delight to chat to Andrea and, of course, the arts. As a musician myself, it's so important. It gave me my voice as a as a young person and gave me a way of expressing myself in, and sort of understanding the world in a, in a different way than traditionally that happens in schools. And as the arts get kind of crowded out a little bit in our current system, this charity is such an important thing. If you are in a position to help Andrea and the Artists in Residence charity, please do get in contact with her. We're going to have a link on the show notes to this episode, so please check that out and yeah, I really hope that we can make a big difference in this education world through the arts and to have someone who's been just really put their life and soul into being able to help so many people and actually create a charity which is going to put the arts front and centre for so many people's lives is just an inspiration. So this is my conversation with Andrea Zafiraku. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for being here on episode 250. This is a celebration for us. We've just been going over five years and this is kind of my my dream interview. We're talking about the arts. We're talking about education. We're talking about real education and what we can provide for our children. So thank you so much indeed for being here. Uh, Mark, it's a pleasure and um, happy birthday. Happy 250th birthday. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it feels good it feels good it seems a long time ago that we started but it's um we've covered some good ground but this is kind of this is the the pinnacle for me to be able to sort of share the arts I know it's made a, a massive difference in my life from having to play an instrument in secondary school and sort of give me a voice really as you sort of go through those teenage years and I know so many other people that have had the arts in their life which has made such a big difference so I'm going to be really excited to, to crack into that but we should really start with the, the million dollar prize and the and the award that goes with it so so tell people you know how did that come about you know, and how has that really changed your life from from being a classroom teacher to to what it looks like now mm, I mean it's it's been sensational as uh, still really surreal you know um so I was nominated to win a prize uh, and it were a colleague a next colleague of mine nominated me and I've never heard of this prize before and I don't normally enter prizes and I'm still like what why nah and um I applied and I remember 
I thought I have to do it because she's gone out of her way to nominate me and she shared to me what she nominated. And I was like, oh my God, that's just really lovely. I was weeping and weeping um, for all her kind words. And so I filled the application out the night before my wedding, just before the, the deadline um, and um, sent it through and thought, yay, done it. You know, that's it. Hopefully wasn't going to hear from them, but then I did. Um, and then a couple of months later, I was invited uh, to Dubai, um, where they had this most extravagant gala affair competition. And there I met the other nine nomina- uh, nominees who were from who were people who I knew, teachers who were so famous in my world and who I knew about. And we were up there together on this podium um, waiting to be nominated as the um, the best teacher in the world. And it was so funny because I was like, yeah, right, an art teacher from London, you know, <laughs> why would anyone give an art teacher from London an award when you've got like a maths genius there and someone who is kind of, you know, uh, re- uh, revolutionising how things are done in Africa. And uh, yeah, and then I, I heard my name, my jaw fell to the ground and um and it's been just such a wonderful experience. So, I mean, the thing about me, Mark, is that I've, for the last 15 years or so, um, ever since starting my school, my car would have done um, 10 miles per week, you know, school back, school back. That's that's the route. And so um, that was my, you know, I was, I was in a fishbowl, but now things have changed dramatically. So although I'm still teaching in my school, um, I am doing other things and meeting other people and just really being inspired by the world outside of the educational world, but still humbly loving you know my my job my 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 nine to five job which is a teaching part of it as well so um no it's been a blessing and i'm so grateful um i'm hoping that i've been able to help others that's the whole point of being a teacher your job is to serve and um i'm hoping that through what i'm doing and you know having this kind of profile now is that i'm inspiring other teachers and really holding that that um banner that says the arts are important and back off to anyone who wants to have a fight and tell me why they're not. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And I've got, I had that amazing sort of uh, image come in my mind there, sort of a street brawl about, you know, this. Oh, yeah, this bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I heard a fantastic um, interview that you did before talking about the reality of, of children's education, you know, there's so much about Ofsted, there's so much about grades, there's so much about what school supposedly is from a, a political point of view. And you were just talking so much about the fact that for some children, it, it's just a safe haven. You know, it's a place where they know they're they're safe. They've got something somewhere they can eat something. So so, so talk us through your sort of experiences with that in terms of, of sort of what education means to you in terms of that reality of of what it's there for children sort of beyond the, the kind of the, sort of the news headlines. And, and just bear in mind that I, you know, I work in a school in um, the uh, the inner city part of London in Brent, and you know, I've just found out recently that our domestic violence figures are the highest in in my local area than they are in the whole of our borough, um, and we are the one of the most deprived boroughs in the whole of the country. So, you know, it's it's. It, that's what I'm working in. That's what I'm living in. And so I, all, what I see is, you know, poverty everywhere. I see students who 
you know, are really vulnerable. I see um, students who have um, are suffering and who have got a lot of responsibilities. And when I say suffering, I, I mean the fact that they haven't had what I've experienced. And that's a kind of a comfortable, um, you know, mum and dad and, you know, siblings and food on the table every night and clean clothes and, you know, warm hugs. And that that's what my life has been. But it's not the same for many other students. Um my some of my students, you know, they are they are the most responsible person in that household. You know, they're looking after, they're the carers. Um, some students they come to school, they rush to school to have breakfast because that's the only meal they've had um, since leaving school the day before. Um, you see them, and I, it's quite funny actually. I was, I was teaching my year tens the other day, and you know, you see their blazers. They're coming up to their elbows for some of the, the boys who have shot up, and that's the same blazer they've had in year seven. Um, and it's fine. And and this is what, what is really interesting is that this is what they know and this is what is normal to them. So it's not about feeling sorry for them, but it is about giving them the strength and the, the same opportunities as every other child in the country. Um, so that there is this kind of equity that we're trying to kind of produce in the classroom. So this is my norm. Um, this is what I know. Uh, in other schools, it might be completely different. In other schools, I, I know across the country it is very, very different. Um, but what I must, you know, what I must say is that uh, this is, I love it. And and many students just, students just love being in, in, in that environment too, whereby they are similar to many other students. Um, they've got the same issues, the same challenges, um, but they feel that that's their home. And, and that's a good thing. And I think that's it, isn't it? You know, a sense of home, whatever that happens to be for you, gives you gives you that sense of warmth. It gives you that environment. It gives you that, like I say, the, the person to rub along with and, and share all those things. And and I think from from an arts point of view, certainly for me, as I, as I said at the beginning, it's that sense of being able to express yourself in a way which isn't about talking or isn't necessarily about having to explain anything, but it gives you an outlet um, and I think that's so important for everyone. So, so tell us how, why the arts are important to you, how you got involved in the arts, um, and then obviously take us into what you've um, invested the money in and, and how that charity is working. Mark, how long do you have? Because I think we've got to kind of, <laughs> I think we're going to all sit quite, because guys, go and put the kettle on, because Andrew's going to start talking. No, um, so my love of the arts was like, you know, I, I can't remember. It was the first, the first memories I have were of, of the paintings and the drawings and the, the progress and the thought process of what I was making when I was in reception. You know, I think I remember um, creating a piece of artwork that was meant to be my dad. And, you know, I found a piece of cordroid fabric and they were going to then I cut some square and that that was going to be his trousers. And um, and, it, and it was just wonderful. So that's my earliest memories of, of me creating and me holding one of those, you know, those um, white plastic peg boards with those colorful little pegs that you can just make. And I think my parents would just shove things because that would just keep me occupied, <laughs> keep me occupied for a very long time. Um, and then what ha I think one of the, one of the challenges I've had, one of the, you know, one of those braver moment conversations you have in your life, you have a few. Um, and one of them was when um, I had to decide which GCSE options I was going to take. And so I took the paper home and I said to my parents, I want to do art GCSE. And then they hit the roof. No, what jobs can you do in art? Are you going to be a painter? Are you going to be going decorating people's houses? And, you know, what? So I think there was this stigma and this mindset um, from m many migrant um, generations that the arts are not 
important they're not there's no money in them and they won't make you happy and you'll be you know you'll be homeless the whole time so um I had to battle with that and I remember um that um when I when I got home um that evening I, I was just bawling my eyes out and really 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 suffering uh and then after a month of having history because you know that's the other box history I just couldn't take it I just I, I went to my parents that 10% braver moment and I just said oh I've spoken to my art teacher in this room in the art room and I'm gonna do art and that's it and I, and that and you can't say anything about me and that's it and I stormed off um after having those that brave conversation and from then on it was as if I could breathe again um and the art room was my home and it was my space my safe space and it was my people and that's what I think is really important about the art rooms in our schools is that people find their people there they it you know and I've heard so many people say that you know the music room saved my life or the music room was a place whereby I used to go there and I used to just put my headphones on and, and I was I was completely mindful I was lost in my own world and I was able to create so when you say what skills to the um the art spring I mean it's every single school as you can imagine it's the mastery it's discipline so discipline in terms of mastering that that instrument or that paintbrush um it enables you to communicate effectively being able to uh talk about artwork or why you're doing something it gives you the opportunity to collaborate with others as well um and the case of you know just thinking and problem solving and experimenting and trying new things and um and I think it just makes you a better, happier person. And when we've got more opportunities for young people who maybe are not good at writing, maybe they they don't they haven't found their thing, but within the arts, there's always something that you can introduce them to, be it um, you know, a material, a different type of media. For example, it could be clay or it could be um, the drums or you know, it could be um, some type of kind of a, a monologue that really inspires them um, and, it, and it just clicks and that's it. That's all they need. And um, yeah, I, I, I will always stand the fact, behind the fact that the arts have such an important role because the skills which the young people learn and master and their confidence, the way they just become stronger and prouder and build their identity and know who they are, that's why we need to preserve and keep them in our, in our curriculum. And it really, that goes to the heart of the fact that it's not about every subject should be about how you're going to earn a living or how you're going to progress into secondary education or whether you're going to get an apprenticeship somewhere. It's about the fact that it's it's part of actually living. Um, and wherever you find that in any particular subject, it's really important to follow your passion. But I think the breadth, that the arts in relation to everything else, it, it, it paints a whole picture, which I think you lose when that's not there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in terms of careers, you know, I've never, you know, I've never met a sad artist or a depressed artist or, or a depressed designer. You know, these are really kind of um, inspired, creative people. I have met a bored accountant <laughs> or, or I have heard of accountants who, who look back and or, you know, in other in, in other jobs and say, Do you know what? I wish I did art GCSE. I wish I did. And you see it when you're having a parents' evening at school and you know you speak to the parents there, your son or your daughter is so so talented. And they're like, Yeah, they get that from me. Oh, I wish I did art. I wasn't allowed to do art. And I was like, oh <laughs> so um it's quite it's quite fascinating how how that works. So I mean I, I suppose we must sort of broach the subject of the fact that the arts generally seems to be declining 
across across the board in many schools in in, in very different disciplines. So tell us how your charity is kind of helping schools reach out in a different way or to or to be able to support children yeah. in, in terms of the practicalities of what it is that you're able to do with, with this amazing opportunity thanks i mean thanks so much i'm sorry i thanks for the plug but um i i won the million dollars and i had that huge kind of pressure on me what is it that i do with this money what do i do and i you know and yes you could kind of run away and and pay off your mortgage and you know and do what you need to do but um there was always this kind of I felt a responsibility now because I'm there shouting out the arts are important. They save lives. They, you know, they help young people grow confidence. And so I, I, I thought I had to put my money where my mouth is. And when somebody says to me, so what's the one thing that really made a huge difference in, in for you or for your school? And for, and when I was reflecting on that, it's quite simply the fact that, um, it's the role models. It's young people need to see it, to believe it and to feel it. So by my teacher, my art teacher, bringing her friend from uni, he was a practicing textiles designer. And for her to come in and show us her work, her portfolio, and to, you know, for us to screen print and to experiment what, what she does for a day on a daily basis as a living, that blew my mind. And that was the wow factor. And that, oh my God, you mean this is a job? And I felt, yes, that's the kind of, that's what I want to do. And so for, for my organization, Artists in Residence, air um, abbreviated is what we do we try and we we bring the arts into schools we bring the artists the designers the, the musicians into schools and we connect them with with teachers and young people and they plan together they they design and plan bespoke projects um, and these schools are in deprived schools all over the country and it is sense it's amazing i mean the feedback we're getting from from teachers and schools is just like you know this child has um a parent has said that how their child has become even more happier from taking part in your project so that's it that's why we do it <laughs> and then we hear we hear stories that maybe some of the artists they thinking you know i've really enjoyed um working with schools i'm thinking of doing a teacher training practice and then you know you you hear that teachers are becoming more confident in delivering arts um specific uh, themes and and you know uh, developing their own curriculum so what we are doing we are bringing the arts into schools especially in schools that need them the most and by doing that, we are we are rocking and creating some inspirational moments. I love the fact that it's kind of like a bespoke situation with each of the artists, because I think, as you mentioned about the reality of, of the students in your school, that's their reality in their school and their community. And like I say, that's different around the country and different schools, different areas, and, and that's completely understandable. So to be able to have the flexibility to create a project or a situation that can support any given community, I, I, I think is amazing. And so can you just talk us a little bit through that process? It's, how, how does it start from that first conversation yeah, and what sort of things have happened with it? So, so what what normally happens is um, a school will apply via our website to say um, we'd like to participate, and then we we ask them what areas that do you need supported in terms of your school? Is it um, do you have um, drama? Do you deliver drama in your school, or do you have an issue with boys engagement? Do you have school refusers? Um, is there a literacy problem? So they tell us what their their school need is, and then what we do, we then um, go to our data bank of artists, which constantly grows uh, and then we try and, and meet and 
make the best match. So um, if a school wanted uh, to focus on drama, uh, Shakespeare drama, we will connect with our um, theatre director, um, Michael Attenborough, who is an expert on Shakespeare. Uh, and we will put, we'll put the teacher and Michael together. They will plan the best possible outcome. So it's really bespoke. It's not a one um, off the shelf kind of a model. It is really about what is it the school needs and how can we help um, by um, creating that artistic experience through the mind and the experience of that artist. And then what happens is once they plan the sessions, um, the artist uh, comes in uh, three times um, over a, a space of half a term um, and then that's it the the artwork is created the outcome is created students are actively working with the artist creating the art form whatever it is um, and then um, yeah then the artist then goes away and then probably hopefully maybe then goes to another school and then the schools always email when are you, when are you coming back can we have another one <laughs> so um, yeah it's just wonderful I feel that we're just I think what, what we're doing is we're injecting such an intense, um, powerful moment of creativity in a school for a group of students at one particular moment. And then that legacy is left. So that artwork or whatever the performance is, that will still be in that school. Um, the teachers will then be able to use the ideas and the training which they've had by working with the artists and experiencing those lessons to then develop their schemes of work and their and their lessons, the curriculum for the next years or so. So it's um, it's like a catalyst. We create catalysts in in departments in schools, and it's a uh, yes, it's awesome. <laughs> it's such a joy I, to do that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the whole idea, whole idea of, of being a catalyst, and 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 the enthusiasm. Obviously, it stems from you, and you I mean, it comes through really clearly. And 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 so, talk about the range of of people you have. You sort of say that it's got an ever growing portfolio of people. Do, are they people that you know that you've approached? Are they people that know about you that have come to you? How's that beginning to work? Uh, everything. So. Um... There's there, we, our data bank just keeps on growing and growing in terms of artists finding out finding out about us and then applying. And it's not just fine artists, obviously, it's artists and designers from all backgrounds. Um, and then the other thing is, is that we sometimes if we have a school in a particular area that we would really like to accommodate. So if it's, for example, in Newcastle um, or in, or I don't know, in Cornwall, um, whereby the school is really specifically saying we want this type of artist because we have a need, then we will put the feelers out. We'll contact the local um, arts organisations there, the museums, the bridges, the art bridges, um, to see if there is a colleague who can do that. And then we we, we hook up that school um, with that with with that particular artist. Um, so. We're constantly growing. We have got artists that are grassroots, so um, colleagues that are developing, and just kind of you know getting their 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 their, their themselves known. And then we have got um, uh, artists who are exhibiting and are performers um, in their own right. Uh, and it's just wonderful. It's just how lovely to be liaising with so many different um, types of, of of individuals. And I think also it's that sense of. You know, I sort of started this sort of part of the podcast talking about the decline in the arts and, and that kind of thing. And this just feels like a massive shot in the arm that, you know, not only is there something out there which people can get excited about, but it's, you know, it's life changing. You know, because like you say, you're not just creating that one off event, you're creating the legacy that's going on into into the future. So 
I mean, in, in terms of, you know, a, a million dollars is a lot of money, but I guess that can disappear <laughs> very quickly in yeah, terms of the arts. Yeah. Um, I, I guess you're always sort of looking to kind of to, to, to find a way of just expanding as, as much as you possibly can do. Oh, Mark, you know, my, you know, I love my new life. I love what I'm doing running an organisation. But what I absolutely hate is the fundraising because you're so right, a million dollars. And, you know, I forgot to tell you that that million dollars runs over a space of 10 years. So I get $100,000 a year, which is not enough to run, um, uh, you know, uh, to run uh, and, and to do the capacity that I want to do with my team um, across the country. I mean, my ambition is to make air you know, not just national, but international. Every school needs to have an artist, needs to be working with an artist continuously. Um, so the, the the bane of my life is fundraising applications and just kind of, yeah, trying to get every penny and every pound that we can. And, and yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm feeling a bit like demotivating now. <laughs> But um, it, I've just had a, I, I did actually just complete a funding application that I had one turned down. So I'm like, oh man, all that effort, all that energy. Okay, let's keep, let's do the next one then. Let's keep going. Let's keep swimming. Let's keep swimming. But yeah, <laughs> it's not, not what I was put on this earth to do, but it has to be done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, I think that's a really, it's a really interesting sort of like say reality check, isn't it? Oh, because, massive. Like, say, you can get swept and you get you get swept away by you know my imagination in terms of you know the performance I've just imagined by the person going into a school in Newcastle or or or, or something that's been happened in in Cornwall like I say but the reality of the amount of work that goes in and and the continuation of it all um, is quite an incredible thing so that's why I'm so pleased that we can share you know share the optimism and, and share the fact that. You know the plan could be and should be that everybody has the chance to do the arts but also anyone listening who has a few pounds who wants to be able to support this and make this a reality because i i think i think the most impressive thing and the most exciting thing is the fact that it, it's just given the opportunity for people to think it's possible um i think one of the things that's happened recently is the fact that schools are increasingly closed in some ways you know the get the, the fences yeah, have gone up the gates right. get closed you can't just get so and so who's an artist just to come that's in the amount of red tape and that's incredible and i think this looks like there's a way of of actively making it possible with, in in a in a safe environment but also in an exciting and sort of thoughtful environment yeah you're right mark and my ultimate aim is to be honest with you, is for air not to exist, for every single school to have that kind of rich opportunity, that that network of having and that continuation of having artists constantly visiting and working with young people and and you know young and and students saying right, I want to go into art college, I want to go into music, or, you know, I want to be a performer. You know, I, this is what we want. We want the numbers at GCSE to go through the roof. We want arts not to be an after-school activity anymore we want them to be um, lessons which are highly valued in curriculum we want um, key stage two and key stage one teachers to feel confident about delivering the arts um, and have a lot of training when they go when they're doing their teacher practice this is what we want we want this to be just the arts to be uh, seen as just as important as any other subjects and how do you think that's going to happen? 
<laughs> he says in terms of we've got a, a lot of time to, to be chatting. I think, uh, it's, yeah, it's I think it's the mind. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, I, I always get this question, why don't the government? I think it's just a mind shift and the people who are going to really help are the employers. We're going to, how many employers of, you know, the, the top agencies, the top organizations are saying, we want creatives, we want people who can communicate, you know, we want people who are hardworking this, and, and just think outside the box. Well, these are skills you need and these skills they naturally um, survive they naturally develop within the arts subjects so why so what we need to do is make sure that these huge voices of industry are um, campaigning to government and are saying you know come on do something there's going to be a huge employment gap by the time um, young people in 10 years time there won't be enough jobs for our young people if they are not exposed to um, subjects which have got these skills um, and we will be employing from all over the world because again it's it's you know why, why would we employ from this country if we haven't got the skills so that's my biggest concern the fact that the, the in 10 years time the world of work is saying we need creative skills as a core absolute fundamental skills and yet we're not delivering them in our schools at the moment to the best of our ability that's where there is a massive gap so when it comes to mindsets we need to we need to kind of really you know wake make some noise and wake things up a bit and hold people to account um and i always get asked well andrew you know what's the extent of the problem it's a big problem <laughs> it's a huge problem you know i want my children to be happy and to thrive and to be employable um and if it means them you know having um a really diverse uh gcsc and a level um uh, you know portfolio or, or, or results, then so be it. I don't want them to feel that they have to be pressured in taking certain subjects just because it it meets the EBAC, which I don't know, it's never used in. Have you ever employed anyone or, or heard anyone employee mark because you had the EBAC? No. No, exactly, exactly. So I why are we why are we putting pressure? Why are we putting pressure on our young people? Why are we doing that? Um, anyway, I'm going to stop. Moving. I'm, I'm going to stop. Yeah. But the, to answer your question, we need to change mindsets. We need to really kind of put the right people um, in front of policymakers, decision makers, um, so that they can actually start going, oh, right. So we are going to have a problem. We do need to change things. And that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is so we can have these sorts of conversations and hopefully the right people start to hear that. And and just as a slight aside to, to what you said there, and I'm going to completely get this wrong. I'm not going to name names or anything because I can't remember exactly, but there was there was someone who was employing for something which I think was space related. It was an incredibly high profile um, job that was needed and they were looking for applications, I think, globally, but certainly um, in, obviously in a specific area. And they took as a given that everyone who applied would be incredibly brilliant at their kind of sciences. You know, you needed your mass physics and chemistry. But what they wanted was the people that had had interests in the arts, had been a musician, had experiences outside of those core subjects, which they, they just assumed that they would be brilliant at because they had to be to do the job. But it was actually the, the idea of the arts and, like you say, the skills and the sorts of person that person would be having been exposed to that, which made the difference in terms of, of handing out these jobs and the experiences that they need. I mean, just one of many, many, many stories, but yet not listened to <laughs> or, or not really acted on but yeah no you're absolutely right mark so just 
tell us a little bit about your kind of working week. You said you're still teaching as well as running the, the charity. I mean, like, <laughs> t- tell us sort of the reality of how that works for you now. Well, it's Friday night. It's uh, five o'clock and I want to go to bed. <laughs> that's, that is, that's the reality. No, um, I mean, I, so what my working week is like, um, uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, I am a full-time teacher and senior leader of my school. Um, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays is what the days that I devote to running the organization, but also doing the keynotes and the, um, the inspirational talks and the, um, the, uh, just the, the advice, the guidance to, and just the global circuit as it was in terms of what I do. Um, I'm also mum. <laughs> I'm also a wife, uh, and uh, and it's and it is quite hard. And I had the question. Re- well, I think my a very good friend of mine said to me, you know, Andrea, what are you going to give up? And I said, no, I'm not going to give anything up because I'm loving my life. I can't give up my teaching because that's the thing that it's such a natural part of my air of my breathing that I need that. I, I need to kind of be grounded. Um, I can't, my organization air is something that I'm so proud of and it's growing and it's making people happy and, and it's, and it's having such a tremendous impact in communities, you know, so I've got to keep on doing that. Um, the inspirational talks and the, and the consultancy work with schools and the arts organizations, you know, I'm helping other people. I can't give that up too. So at the moment I'm going to be going to bed every Friday at five (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, no, it's I, I am, I am, I am kind of burning and running on all cylinders. But do you know what? Until until that time comes, just let's just keep going. Yeah, well, it's making such an amazing difference. And um, and you were sort of saying about other teachers and things. Just talk briefly about about your book and what you what you're trying to share with people from that in terms of you know actually being a teacher and those people that can really do it. Yeah. So. Um... I forget that there's so many people outside of the edu world who are fascinated about the edu world. And I was approached to write a book um, by Bloomsbury, the first one called Those Who Can Teach. And this book is all about the young people that I that I have taught, but who have taught me about what life is like and um, what a good teacher should be like. And so it's their stories. It's the stories of um, um, of. Um, Alex, for example, who had special educational needs and who um, it was a battle for him to stay in the class. Um, but one day he had that most momentous opportunity, the momentous experience of producing a piece of artwork that was just as good as everyone else. And the kids clapped and cheered him. And that was it. That was the greatest moment of his life. Um, that you know, there's, there's just so many other stories of how the arts have changed young people, but also stories of just, you know, how the, the extent to which teachers go to, especially UK teachers, UK teachers are, I mean, what we do is, is nothing like what other teachers across the world do. We, it's, it's all about the nursing, the social care, the mentoring, the discipline, the parenting. It, it's how we go above and beyond. Teaching sometimes is just 30% of what we do in our normal day. The other seventy percent is that stuff, um, and it's it's and what I love about my book, Mark, is the fact that 
everyone, every teacher um, friend or, or, or teacher who has read that has said, do you know, I had a student like that in my class and I remember a story of uh, that was my, you know, they're all their kids too. All of the kids that I write about are their kids. Um, and I think that's what it's all about. It's just raising the profile of the profession, shouting out how amazing UK teachers are and, you know, the extent to which we go to, uh, to, to help our young people, but also putting it in black and white, the stories of why the arts change life and help make young people better people. I think that's amazing. And and is, is there a particular teacher or an experience that you can remember that kind of was that person that, that did that for you? Um, for me, my, the, pers- the teacher who I will never forget um, was Mr. Audacy, and he was my music teacher. And, and, I, and I, I'm one of those people who I wish I did take up an instrument and I'm, you know, a secret, a secret wannabe musician. Um, but he, it, it's the way he taught. He used to scare the hell out of us. Sorry for swearing. But he was one of those teachers. He'd come in and you, you, you just couldn't read. And then he would jump on a chair and perform and um, start singing to us. And um, the songs that he used to sing, we didn't have a clue what they were. But then those were the scales. And we will never forget. Tally-ho, tally-ho. They're still in my head. Oh, my God. They're in my head. So... He was the one who just made learning fun and inspiring and everything he has taught me is stuck in my head. And he had energy, uh, this guy. And he, and he was he's the one. He was the one I would never, never, ever forget. Um, so, yeah, Mr. Odyssey, awesome guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, love, I love that. It comes up so much. It's about the way people make you feel isn't it and like you say that can be a quiet conversation it can be like you say the ability to interact with the whole class and usually their passion coming through which makes perfect sense especially having spent some time with you now in terms of you know wanting to sort of get our the essence of who we are across into what we're what we're doing and especially if, if the arts are it, the key to all of that sort of thing and mark can i just take this moment to apologize to all your listeners and yourself for my awful singing <laughs> i hope it hasn't put you off this podcast please continue to listen <laughs> it's all a learning environment and i was just going to offer to um to say if you want to learn an instrument i'm more than happy to help and then i suddenly thought about those hours of things that you're already trying to do add another thing in it's the piano for me what i will master the piano not even I i won't master it that's an insult to to those who can but i will i will be doing that one point i will be a pianist of some level at one point in my life Fantastic. Yes. There we are. You've, you've heard it here. You can hold it to it, James. <laughs> um, what do you think was the best piece of advice you've ever you've ever been given, or is there a piece of advice you'd now give yourself, sort of looking back into your younger self? Be kind. Always be kind. Um, and I have been told that, and I've also seen the impact of being kind, and. Um, I mean, I can tell you so many stories on how just being kind, the, the kind person for the young for young children as well has really changed their life. I remember um, we had a, um, a trainee teacher who um, was really trying to master their 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 behaviour management in the class, and there was a boy who used to come in late to school every single day, and uh, this boy had had so many social problems and issues at home. Um, you know, just to get into school every day 
was for me a miracle. It's like, well done, you got up, you dressed, you, you know, I know you're hungry, but you've come in, um, you've seen your mum on the floor with an overdose, perhaps, but you've come into school, you know, you're here, well done. And as he and as he came in one day, um, he was gonna go into that classroom and that teacher, he he went the whole, he did the whole um, um, you know, why are you late? you know that that training teacher and it was just a case of pulling that teacher aside and him not realizing about the background of these young people and and me just saying to him you know after lesson I just want to let you know that this this is a situation with this child I'm sorry you don't know about it it's good that you don't know about it but this is a situation so you know let's just be mindful that whatever you see in front of you is, is not consistent and not the experience of everyone in this room and there's lots of things that we don't know about our young people and and I think that's what it is. It's just to be kind to people, and it's so you know it's free. Being kind is 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 doesn't take any effort whatsoever, and um, it it spreads. So that's that's it there, Mark. And how how do you think how do you think that kind of dispels into the the overwhelming thing that we should be doing? Because I mean I can I completely agree, but when sort of teachers and people with an education are feeling under stress because of this result and that result and it has to look like this and has to look like that, how do you sort of feel that we can keep everyone on the right sort of track as it were in terms of remembering that is your first point of call. That should be how it is, even when you feel like you're you have the sort of the traditional pressures that, that come with being in the working in the school. Oh, that's a really fascinating question because it seems that the the stakes are always getting higher and harder, um, and you know you, the bar is always being raised for education and teachers. No, that's not good enough. Now let's do this. Now that's you know um, we know the we know the impact it's having by raising this the, these bars that you know we're having teachers that are just you know walking out and have given up on the profession and are leaving the classrooms only after three years of entering the classrooms so we we can see that so I, I think it's about remembering that to become a teacher you have trained and it's you've trained hard and um you are a professional and actually my opinion should be valid uh, and I must be listened to and I must be respected um, and I think that's probably what's not happening. The fact that the teacher profession hasn't got the same value as many other professions. Where, yeah, for example, doctors. Well, actually, we create doctors in our classrooms. So why isn't it? Yeah, I think that's I think that's incredibly powerful. And I think understanding those things and, and, I, and I think just having having that sense of breadth and that kind of breath even just to be able to kind of just take that moment to remember what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. I think that kind of then starts to put everything sort of back back into into some kind of focus. And and there's always for me, there's always something which kind of takes me to that moment, whether it's a, a film, a video, a, a song, a book, or a podcast, or anything. Is, is there is there something which you sort of have which kind of just makes you think, oh, this has had a big impact, or somewhere that's sort of like a safe haven that puts you on that right track. I, I, I ha that's the hardest question anyone can ever ask me um, because there's so many incredible things that I've you know, watched and I, and I love movies. I'm quite happy to sit and watch a movie any, any time of the day. But there is a poem that um, I'd like to share with you, Mark. And this poem is something which I've recently found. I do not know who has wrote this poem, but it's called Fire. Can I read it out? It takes this Please. So it's called Fire. And I'm not sure if somebody sent this to me um or if uh it was a twitter um 
post that I just was like, this is it. This is me. But I'll read it out to you. It's called Fire. Remember what you must do when they undervalue you, when they think your softness is your weakness, when they treat your kindness like it is their advantage. You awaken every dragon, every wolf, every monster that sleeps inside you, and you remind them what hell looks like when it wears the skin of a gentle human. Wow. And I think this is why I love this is because I, I've read this to my daughters quite a few times and I want them to know that they can be brave and they can be bold and I don't want them to be walked over and there is a time for everyone. So, yeah. Well, what a fantastic way to finish. You know, we are education on fire and I've never heard it expressed in, in such a fantastic way. So, Andrew, thank you so much. It's been amazing chatting to you and I just love the fact that there's just this now outpouring of one, the ability to get the arts in a way that it never was before, that there's the positive momentum of what we can do. Um, and the more I can help and share that and get more people involved and help the fundraising if we can do that as well to make sure we can put it, like you say, not just in, in every every school, in every city, but in every town, in every village mm-hmm. uh, here in the UK and beyond, then that has to be the way it should be. And yeah, like you say, if we can get to the point where we can get rid of air so that we don't need it anymore, which was, you said was your goal, then, then that would be fantastic. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. And thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.